Thanks for downloading this BGSM podcast. My name is Liam West. I'm a sports and exercise medicine registrar in Australia and a member of the BGSM editorial team. On the line today, I've got Dr. Lauren Malazzo. He's a researcher at the Sports Medicine Research Laboratory at the Luxembourg Institute of Health. His research focuses on running-related injuries and has conducted many studies on running shoes and the potential risk factors for injury. And this is an area that we'll discuss today. Thanks for coming onto the line, Lauren. You're welcome. Good morning. As the debate continues about the performance benefits of differing running shoes, thanks to that recent incredible sub two hour marathon, let's discuss their effect on injury risk. What does the research tell us about the differing shoe features and their impact on injury risk? This is this question is quite broad. And first, I would like to say that I will not talk about shoe performance at all today. This is not the aim of this podcast and uh, not my field of expertise either. Globally, we can say that research focusing on specifically on the effect of shoe features on injury risk is recent and still sparse. Uh, recent because the few studies on the topic were published over the last 10 to 15 years and sparse because the number of studies that really prospectively investigate injury occurrence and its association with running shoes is really limited. On the contrary, the effect of shoe features on running biomechanics has been more largely investigated. But these cross-sectional studies investigating biomechanical outcome only without prospective follow-up of injury could only demonstrate effect of shoe features on potential risk factors. And in this case, any conclusion on injury risk remains speculative. Let's take an example. Impact peak force and loading rates. You know, when the foot strikes the ground, a rapid increase in vertical force occurs, especially in real foot strikers. And in most runners, a first peak can be observed in vertical ground vertical force. This impact peak force, as well as loading rate, are two of the m- most popular risk factors for running injury. So many studies investigated the impact of shoe features, running technique, all the factors on impact peak force and loading rate. But are they really risk factors for injury? This is, this is another question. And today, to the best of my knowledge, there is only one longitudinal study that showed an association between loading rate and injury risk. This is a study by um, Aaron Davis in female runners only, and the event of interest was stress fracture. And it may also be interesting to note that stress fracture is not the most frequent injury type in runners. And another uh, systematic review actually on loading rates and injury risk by Hank van der Rohe revealed that the level of evidence for this association is very low. So to conclude on your first question, we can say that many statements and many arguments uh, in favor of certain shoe features or shoe types are not supported by scientific evidence. Actually, most of these statements are based on theories or indirect observations, mainly from biomechanics. However, we have to recognize that as long as the shoe industry does not invest more energy, more money to the understanding of impact of shoe features on injury risk, developing theories based on indirect observation is the only approach that shoe retailers and clinicians can apply, uh, unfortunately. 
For the research that yourself and your colleagues have done, is there anything you can do to help clinicians listening to this podcast decide which foot type may help the patient in front of them minimize their risk of injury? Yes, over the last 10 years with my uh, colleague, former colleague and, and friend, Daniel Tyson, we, we conduct uh, several studies on the topic and uh, we systematically investigate the effect of different shoe features on injury risk. Let's start with the first trial in which we investigate the effect of midsole harness in injury risk. So midsole harness is one of the main components of shoe cushioning, but not the only one. You can also modify the geometry of the shoe, for example. And surprisingly, we did not find any difference in injury risk between the two prototypes tested, a hard and a soft version. So the first conclusion was that midsole harness does not influence injury risk. But I will come back to uh, shoe cushioning later. In our second study, we aim to investigate if motion control shoes are effective in reducing injury risk. So about 400 regular leisure time runners were randomly allocated to one of the study groups. One group received a pair of standard neutral shoes and the other received a pair of motion control shoes. And we observed that in the wool cohort, injury risk was lower in the group of runners who received the, the shoes equipped with a motion control system. But we also observed that motion control shoes were actually effective in lowering injury risk in runners with pronated feet and they were not harmful for those with other foot type which means supinated or neutral feet so it seems that a minimum of motion control is needed in our modern cushion shoes in the third trial we investigate the influence of heel to toe drop in standard cushion shoes on injury risk Close to 600 leisure time runners received randomly a pair of standard cushion shoes with a heel to toe drop of 10, 6, or 0 millimeters. Overall, the injury risk was not influenced by the shoe drop in the wool cohort. However, we found that in the group of occasional runners, so those who did not practice running on a weekly basis for uh, more than six uh, months over the previous year, Injury risk was lower among those using the low drop shoe version. So in the shoe version with a drop of 6 or 0 millimeters compared to the 10 millimeter drop version. On the contrary, in the group of more regular runners, the injury risk was higher among those who received the low drop version. So it seems that shoe drop has an impact of on, on injury risk, but it's specific to the profile of the runner. And in more recent trial, we investigate the effect of shoe cushioning on injury risk again. The main difference with the first trial were first the sample size. We included 850 participants compared to 250 in the first trial. Second, the difference in shoe cushioning properties. It was 35% compared to 13 in the first trial. And the third difference was we collect biomechanical data in baseline. So all the participants were tested on an instrument treadmill in our lab at baseline. Our first conclusion are that injury risk was lower in the group that received the soft shoe version, so with greater cushioning properties. Then, as it's common belief that heavier runners should use footwear with greater cushioning, we investigate the association between shoe cushioning and injury risk among the heavier runners as well as among the lighter runners in two distinct analyses. And so we observed that light runners benefited from the shoe version with a higher cushioning, but no effect was observed among the heavier runners. Of course, 
other studies have also brought some piece of evidence on the topic, but I could not be exhaustive here. I listed the, the study we conducted in Luxembourg. I would also like to mention that if there are some evidence on the impact of shoe features on injury risk, the underlying mechanism have not been established yet. Any role of shoe features on injury development can only be explained by some alteration biomechanics. So clinicians and coaches should bear in mind this triangular relationship between shoe features, running biomechanics, and injury risk. If some shoe features seem to influence injury risk, the mechanisms involved have not been uncovered yet. So to conclude, the knowledge is too limited on this field, and we cannot provide any guidelines for shoe prescription and personal advice. What are the key shoe features for injury prevention? Which population benefits from which shoe feature? What about the learning experience of the patient? What about his injury history? What about his running style? All these factors can influence the recommendations. And again, we can build many theories and speculate on the most appropriate shoe for the patient, but this is not evidence-based. People often advocate for minimalist shoes. Is this theory or is there a body of evidence growing to support this movement? Yeah, this, this is a hot topic, actually. I must be clear, no large randomized control trial has investigated the difference in your risk between using minimalist shoes and using conventional shoes, especially after a transition period. So there is no strong evidence that minimalist shoes may help reducing injury risk. However, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. I'm just saying that we need more research with strong study design. And so far, the effect of minimalist shoes on injury risk has been poorly investigated. One of the main explanations is that investigating that topic is extremely challenging. And there are three, four challenges. The first one is any radical change in running shoes will increase injury risk. So a transition period is highly recommended in any study design. The second one is that some runners may already have some experience with minimized shoes before being enrolled for the trial. So either the researchers exclude them or they must stratify the code. Third, minimized shoes may fit better with the running style of some runners, for example, those with a forefoot strike pattern. This means that a new stratification according to foot strike pattern is needed, which impacts the sample size required to, to get enough statistical power. And fourth challenge is that minimal shoes may decrease the risk of some types of injuries, but increase the risk of developing other injuries. So researchers should focus on specific injury types, which means that few events of interest will be observed. And again, the sample size or the follow-up period has to be increased. These are methodological considerations, but they have to be taken into account. Otherwise, no solid conclusions can be drawn. And to get back to transitioning, more research is needed to provide evidence-based recommendation. Two key aspects have to be taken into account. First, the specific shoe features that differ from the previous model. For example, cushioning, drop, or motion control. And the second aspect is the amount of change. Are you transitioning from maximalist to barefoot running or from standard cushion shoes to partial minimalist shoes? And indeed, this is a field of research which has not been uh, really investigated so far. There's no evidence. Should we just be advocating our patients to use different running shoes that they find comfy on different terrains that they run on? Yep, this looks like a sound strategy. Of course, Runners could use different pair of shoes depending on the terrain, 
for example, running on the road, in the forest or in mountain, or depending on the purpose, is it for training or competition? And using several pair of running shoes in parallel could also help in transitioning to a new shoe. In an observational study, we found a low injury risk in those using different pair of running shoes in parallel when compared to those using a single pair. Of course, there may be different explanations to our observation. Some confounding factors may explain the difference in injury risk. Uh, let's take an example. The runners using different pairs may be more experienced runners. And these more experienced runners actually uh, usually display a low injury incidence compared to the less experienced runners. But still, alternation in shoes makes sense as it may lead to some variations in the external loads applied to the musculoskeletal system. Of course, optimal strategy for alternation in terms of frequency, um, shoe features involved, and context of utilization have still to be defined. More globally, alternation is a concept already well known in sport. Athletes alternate between different types of sessions, changing the intensity, the duration, and sometimes they alternate between sports activities. I think this is a lot of myth busting. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. One more thing that I'd like to discuss then is, is there a period of time or distance after which we should advise our patients to buy new shoes to reduce their injury risk? I often get asked this question in the clinic. The impact of shoe age and wear on injury risk is indeed an interesting topic. And the follow-up of shoe use and is easy nowadays. Many applications on smartphone allow the quantification of running distance with each of your shoe pairs. On the one hand, shoe ma manufacturers know very well how quickly the shoe properties change with shoe age or distance. That's about the material, the resistance of material. On the other hand, there was an interesting study comparing running biomechanics in new and worn shoes. It was published by uh, Kong and colleagues 10 years ago in BGSM. And they show that runners change their pattern to maintain constant the external loads. So according to this study, decreases in cushioning properties does not seem to be an issue. I mean, regarding a classical risk factor, the impact forces. Unfortunately, again, this is a topic that has never been properly investigated. Therefore, the maximal distance for in shoes set at uh, 800 or 1000 kilometers is based on mere popular belief or maybe some recommendation from the running shoe sector. But is there any conflict of interest then? Well, I think I'm never going to get sponsored by Nike after recording this uh, podcast. Let's turn this to a final clinical question. Let's say I've got a 25-year-old male that comes into the clinic wanting to start running. All female, but he's worried about getting injured like many of his friends have done before. What advice would you give him about choosing his running shoe? Oh, first, do cycling. No, that's a joke. Injury incidence is really high in running. That's a fact. But experts usually consider that most of them are preventable, which is good news. But first of all, it's possible that the role of running shoe technology for injury prevention has been largely overestimated. Clinicians should not focus on shoes too much. Runners have to understand that they sustain injuries because they do running not because they have the bad or inappropriate shoes. With Rasmus Nielsen from Aarhus University, we share this idea that running shoes only modify the training load an athlete can tolerate before injury. And Rasmus likes reminding the audience that in the sofa, runners will not develop any running-related injury, even if they wear running shoes. So I did not talk about 
all the studies on running shoes and in the risk in this podcast, but you will not find dozens and dozens of them. So apart from the uh, preliminary conclusions of the studies I presented uh, earlier, it seems that some basic rules should be respected. Let's start with this uh, subjective feeling of comfort when choosing a pair of running shoes. This idea was actually suggested by Benonik a few years ago, and I could only agree with him. Even if this is not evidence-based, when trying a new pair of shoes, if they are not comfortable, runners should just try other shoes. Then there is this idea that transitioning progressively and carefully into a new pair, actually transition and progressivity may be the most important keywords. Progressivity in the introduction of a new pair of running shoes or a new training program, when resuming running after a break, indeed, progressivity is crucial. It's also probably a good idea to alternate between running shoes to avoid systematic mechanical overload or allow progressive transitioning to new shoes. And in line with this idea, alternating between running surfaces could also be efficient. And last but not least, listening to your body when training. If you don't have good feeling with the shoes, it's possible that they do not fit with your preferred movement path, as suggested by Benonik a few years ago. Again, this is not evidence-based, but the theory is worth being investigated. Till this advice is more general, if a runner does not feel good or has unusual pains, these are some signals sent by the body and which should be taken into consideration. That's a really powerful way to finish the podcast with some really good clinical take-home messages. Thank you very much, Lauren, for your time and letting us tap into your expertise today. Thank you, Liam, and see you. Thank you to you, the listener, for choosing this BGSM podcast. As ever, you can interact with the BGSM through the normal social media channels, and I hope you get to have a physically active day in the right pair of running shoes.